All right, good morning, family. We are preaching on joy this morning, and God gave us blue skies. Like, that's pretty kind. It's awesome. Our heart, according to the Bible, is our deepest core. The very center of all operations of human life. Everything that we say and do flows out of our heart. As Jesus said, the, the good person out of the good treasure in his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We are talking, or we are taking a pause in our, in our study to look at God's heart together as a church. And why is knowing God's heart important for us? When we say God's heart, we aren't just trying to emotionalize words for our own sake. Uh, the, in the Bible, um, heart is used some 900 times. When we talk about God's heart, we're trying to look at who God most is at his core. We're looking at his character what he reveals himself to be in his own heart that flows into all that he says and does. Knowing God's heart is the key to knowing why he does what he does in the Bible and in our own lives. Before I knew Jesus, this was, this was always the question that drove me crazy and ultimately drove me to God. Why does God do what he does? I didn't understand his heart behind creation. And as I look back, really, there were two running, uh, contradictory worldviews in my head. The one said, God just wants humans to be happy. Full stop. Like he's uh, watching pet ants in an ant farm. He doesn't care what makes them happy. He just likes watching them go about their happy little lives. The other, heavily influenced by my religious upbringing, thought, God doesn't care at all about my happiness. What God really delights in is when I give up all of those happy things in order to do religious things. Give up crisps for Lent, God is happy. Go to Mass, bored and miserable, God is happy. And the ultimate way to please God looked like this. Give up everything enjoyable in the world and go be a monk doing only religiously things. That's what really put a smile on God's face. And some of those thoughts were still there after I became a Christian. Like the main hang-up was that I clearly saw in the Bible that everything was about God's glory but I couldn't quite work out what his love and my happiness had to do with that. It probably won't come as a surprise to you then when I say my favorite class that I took at university was devoted to studying one essay written by Jonathan Edwards titled, The End for Which God Created the World. And I remember the professor's first words were a question to us. He said, so what is the end for which God created the world? And like a class of, of good little Bible majors, someone shot up his hand right away and said, the glory of God. 
class dismissed, right? He said, you're right, but you're not fully right. What if I said this quote from Jonathan Edwards? God created man for this very end, that he might communicate happiness to him. And I was like, wait, what? The Bible is, is clear that I was made to glorify God. But Edwards said, glorifying God is nothing else than rejoicing in God, in his glory. But if God made man to rejoice in this, then he made man to be happy. Now, he didn't mean happy in your new iPhone or, or even your love for your kids. It is happiness in beholding God's glory. His point was this, God created the universe to glorify himself by making us immeasurably and exceedingly happy in him. They aren't opposing things. They are perfectly married together in God's purposes. As John Piper likes to say it, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. What I want us to dwell on this morning is God's heart in working for your joy. This is God's heart throughout all salvation history, and it's his heart for you and I today. So pray with me again, and, let's, and then let's look at John 15 together. Heavenly Father, we need your help. To talk about your heart is a heavy thing. And so I pray, God, let only my words that are true land on your people this morning. And God, please give us eyes to see your heart. Let it impact us and let it change us. We need your Holy Spirit to do it. So I pray, please help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, turn with me again to our text, John 15. We're going to start at verse 8. And please, let me just encourage you that if you have a Bible or the Bible's on your phone, actually open it up and keep it open. It just helps us to be students of his word when we're actually seeing it for ourselves. And I want us to see God's heart for your joy. And to do that, we, we need to understand this relationship between his glory and our joy. And Jesus here is speaking intimately to the 12 disciples um, in just the hours leading up to his arrest. So verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Let's just look at that for a minute. So God is glorified when his people prove to be his disciples by bearing much fruit. Why does that glorify the Father? The image Jesus is using that Jason read earlier starts at the beginning of chapter 15 when Jesus said that he is the true vine and that his father is the vine dresser and that we are the branches. He says in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Nothing, that is, that is pleasing to God. Nothing that's of eternal value. The kind of fruit that pleases God, that glorifies God, only comes from abiding in Jesus. We can't produce it on our own. So when we do produce the fruit, he gets all of the glory because it comes from him. Do you see that? Even our existence as his branches are because of him. Verse 16, he said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So God gets all the glory by our fruit bearing because it's only because of him that it's produced. But there's even more going on here than that. See, if Jesus is the only source of our fruit bearing, then whatever kind of fruit that we have in our life says everything about him. Think of the fruit of the Spirit here. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What are those? This is the very character of God himself. The very heart of Jesus produced by the Spirit showing up as good fruit in our lives to our happy benefit. The very fruit of God that Jesus enjoys and makes him enjoyable, he wants for you. And Jesus says when God sees that, he is glorified. God is not a vine dresser that's demanding fruit production just for his own benefit. He's not like, make a bunch of fruit. I have wine to sell. He's saying, bear my fruit because I want you to enjoy me. And when you do, that glorifies me. Do you see how those go together? God is not glorified through miserable followers that just show up to church because they have to. Just like a vine dresser is not glorified by miserable vine branches. God is shown to be glorious and satisfying when his followers are fully satisfied in his glory. Jesus continues to make this point in verse 9. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. That is a sentence worthy of our meditation for a millennia. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. When Jonathan Edwards explained God's motivation to create the world, he started with the Father's love for the Son. That God has has always been perfectly full of joy, infinitely happy, eternally delighting in the most glorious, infinitely wonderful thing in the universe. That is, 
the Godhead. The sun, as Hebrews says, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. The father perfectly delighting in and loving his son. And the son perfectly delighting in and loving the father. That joy and that love carried about by, communicated by, expressed through the Holy Spirit. And this Godhead is so perfectly filled with love and joy for one another that they created a world and a people to enjoy God with God. That is God's heart for you. That you would fully, eternally enjoy God with God. And this is what Jesus purchased for you. The chief problem with the world isn't isn't just that sin exists. It's that sin exists and it keeps us from dwelling with and enjoying God. But through Jesus' atoning work on the cross, for all those who trust in Jesus, he now says to you, I love you. Just as the Father has loved me. Therefore, Abide in my love. This is why I made you. This is what I purchased for you. So abide in it. Enjoy it. Reap from it. Thrive off of it. Flourish in it. What an incredibly loving command. And we need to understand understand that if we're going to understand the next verse. Jesus says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So first, what that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean if you keep my commandments, you will be loved. If that were true, none of us would be loved. Jesus accomplished that for us. Perfectly obeying the commands for us. That's why he said in the previous verse, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. If you're in Jesus, that's true for you. Full stop. Jesus loves you. You are loved. What he means by abiding in his love is experiencing his love. Enjoying his love, dependently reaping the benefits of his love in such a way that produces fruit. To abide in Jesus means a a daily, ongoing reliance on our relationship with Jesus. And he is saying, if you want to enjoy my love that comes from that, to draw from it in such a way that produces fruit, Obey what I've commanded you. Again, I I want us to see God's heart here because the lie that we often believe is that God's commandments impede our joy, right? This is Satan's first lie to Eve in the garden, isn't it? See, the garden was, was all about delighting in God's glory. God created a perfect garden for man to dwell in and enjoy him through, declaring everything that he made to be good. 
Out of the ground he made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the eyes and good for food. Think of the way he designed us and wired our brains to interact with this world. Five senses wired to our brains to produce pleasure. To see his beautiful world and be pleased. To taste the fruit of the trees. To touch and feel the grass. To smell flowers. To hear birds and the streams. To be pleased and glorify God through it. He saw that man was alone and said, that's not for his good. Let's give him someone to be with. Man and woman enjoying God through the world that God created for them. And the most enjoyable part, God was there. As Jason read from Psalm 16, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore, enjoying his world. And God said, I've given you every tree to enjoy, but don't eat the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because if you do, you'll die. When my kids were younger and we were back in the States, there was this hill by our house that in the winter snow was great crack for sledding down. Tons of people in the neighborhood would go down it, and it was a super fun time. But the problem was, at the very top of the hill, it was right next to a super busy road. And so what did I say when I brought my kids there? I said, we're here to enjoy the hill, but don't go near the road. If you do, you might die. I said it boldly, and I meant it. Was I trying to rob them of joy? No. I was trying to protect their joy. I was trying to guard it and enhance it. But what did Satan say to Eve? Did God actually say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? Which wasn't even what God said, was it? But Satan was sowing the seeds to get her believing that she wasn't as happy as she could be. And God and his commandments were at fault. If you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you won't die. God's keeping joy from you. That commandment is restricting your joy. God is a killjoy. He's a joy thief. Eat of it. You'll see you'll be like God himself. And then listen to what it says of Eve. When she saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she ate of it. See all those joy words in there? The first sin of mankind was choosing happiness outside of God and his design. It was believing the lie that God was a joy thief. That him and his commands restrict our happiness. And it led to death. Today, that lie hasn't changed. But that's not our God. That is not his heart for you. 
Look at what Jesus says next. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. These things, meaning everything that Jesus has said in our text, bear fruit that glorifies God so that your joy may be full. Abide in my love so that your joy may be full. Obey my commandments so that your joy may be full. I have said these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Catch that. So that my joy may be in you. Jesus wants his very joy to be your joy. The very joy of Jesus that he has had for all of eternity, delighting in God, perfectly, infinitely happy in God's glory. Listen, God has designed us for the most amazing purpose in the universe. Like the angels in heaven, we are worshipers by design. Angels who happily bask in God's glory as their delight, day and night, singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But God especially made us for something even better. We don't just happily bask in his glory. We benefit from it and actually partake in his glory. Think of it like this. God is love. That is who he most is at his heart. And it is the most beautiful, enjoyable thing in the universe. And who enjoys that the most? The one who just basks in it, or the one that also benefits from it? The one that benefits, right? And that's us. That's us. Instead of the wrath we deserve, we receive God's mercy and the outpouring of this audacious love that would call us sons and daughters of God, filled with his very spirit. We see and enjoy the full glory of his love in a way that angels never will. To benefit from and actually partake in his full love and joy. Jesus wants his joy in you, and that means that he wants the object of his joy in you. We have a a happiness hunger in us that only praising an infinitely glorious God can satisfy. We can't find that in our own glory. We can't find it in anything else. God cannot love you while allowing you to worship something less. Worshiping a glorified God is the only way for your joy to be full. He doesn't want you to just be happy. He wants you to be happy in God, the best and only source of joy. Now, people, when making excuses 
for their sin will often say, but God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? Yes, I have a wife, but our marriage is dry. And this woman over here is actually making me happy. And God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? No. No, he doesn't. Please listen. I want you to get this clearly. God does not want you to be happy. He wants you to be happy in him. They are completely different things. What we find our joy in is not optional. In Jeremiah 2.13, God says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and dug out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. See, the first evil is that they have rejected God as the source of their everlasting satisfaction, the only true source of joy that actually satisfies. The second is that they have tried to find satisfaction for themselves outside of God. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. Those broken, finite cisterns don't work because we have been made for an infinite joy. Listen, there is no true joy apart from God. Those that reject God can have happiness in their life, can't they? We see it all the time. But everything that they enjoy are God's things. The pleasures that they reap from in life are all his design, enjoyed by bodies that he created. Mankind, in our sin, we thanklessly enjoy all the blessings of God's created world while wanting nothing to do with him. We say, God, I don't want you. I just want your stuff. But God's created world won't always operate like this, will it? A day is fixed when this world will pass away. And all those that reject him will not be with God anymore. And then the days of thanklessly enjoying his things without him won't be possible. But for all those whose greatest treasure is Jesus, all those that trust in him for their salvation and joy will be with God in fullness of joy in his recreated world forever. So when God says, find your joy in me, find your joy in me, find your joy in me, he is not being egotistical. He is not being self-serving. He is saving you. He's loving you in the best way possible, in the only way possible. He is inviting us in to share with him an unending, perfect joy. He wants this joy, his joy in you, and he wants it to be full, without lack, like a cup overflowing with wine that never runs dry. This is his heart for you. It pours over into all that he says and does. He wants fullness of joy for you and for that joy to be in him.
because it's the greatest joy. It's the only joy. Oh, he is, he's no joy thief. In John 10, Jesus describes himself as the door to salvation and green pastures and as the good shepherd that leads the sheep through. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. When he says life to the full, within this metaphorical context, he means fat, contented, flourishing sheep. Happy sheep. Why did Jesus come? To give us life to the full. Fully happy, satisfied life with him forever. It means that he has been working all of salvation history for your joy. And that does not contradict the truth that God is working all of salvation history for his glory. Miserable, malnourished sheep do not show the shepherd to be very good, do they? Fat, happy, safe, contented ones do. God is supremely glorified when he is our supreme happiness. And we, as his creatures, are supremely happy only when he is supremely glorified. Our happiness and his glory are one. Now, before I get to application, let me clarify a couple nuances. When I say God wants us to be happy in him, I don't mean, like our monk friends from earlier, that we deny ourselves every earthly pleasure. God wants us to enjoy the things that he created for us. But he wants us to enjoy them rightly. That is, to enjoy his creation to his glory. The enjoyable things of this world exist for the purpose of enhancing our enjoyment of God. Paul says, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. We enjoy the things of this world in such a way that glorifies him. So that means, one, that we don't enjoy it if God has told us not to enjoy it. That we enjoy it within the confines of how he's designed it to be enjoyed. And we don't enjoy it as an end to itself, lest it become an idol. God is glorified when we enjoy his created world rightly, the way that he designed it to be enjoyed. To his praise and our enjoyment of him. You might also be thinking, but, but doesn't Jesus call us to deny ourselves? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Yes, absolutely. In fact, it's necessary to do so. To deny yourself means to disown your own right and rule in this life in order to follow him and have life in him. And that means in your heart, you need to be willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of following him. 
And there might be some things in your life right now that God is calling you to lay down for the sake of following him. To not do so would be idol worship. Again, God must be our chief and utmost joy because he is the only true source. Like a good shepherd and dad, he demands that we leave lesser joys in order to find and secure better and eternal joy in him. But I want us to understand that that he is not a God of denial. What he wants most for us isn't for us living a life of denying all things. Like he's not somehow more glorified by our denial of every pleasure in the world. He is glorified in us rightly enjoying them. Pleasure in this life isn't wrong. Wrongly placed pleasure in this life is wrong. So, God works in our life to redirect our joy to him. Again, the main thing I want us to take away this morning is for you to see God's heart for you and working for your joy. I want you to see it when you read the Bible. I want you to see it in your life. From the first lie in the garden, our enemy wants to convince you that God is not working for your joy. That there is better happiness found outside of him and his ways. That is a lie. It's a lie that completely flies in the face of God's heart for you. But it's an especially believable lie when our joy is suffering. And so what I want to do in our application is give you five ways that we can fight for joy in God. First, place your hope in future joy. There is a reason why joy in this life can be so difficult to grab hold of. Because as we know, this is a broken world. As Christians, we're we're caught up in this strange place of the now and the not yet. We right now have access to this overflowing joy of Jesus himself. But we are not yet in the fullness of his presence in his recreated world. We still sin, and we're sinned against. We lose the people and things that we love. We grieve in this world. This life is difficult. And listen, God knows it. And as Christ followers, God even calls us to walk particularly difficult roads sometimes. And for some of us, if you've experienced trauma or loss, man, especially early in your life, happiness can feel like it's the exception sometimes and not the norm. I'll just speak for myself. That's true for me. Sometimes sadness, it feels like it's the baseline for my life. I just want to encourage you, take heart if that's you. God sees you. God sees you. Jesus empathizes with you. He suffered in this world too. And that's what he came to fix. Fullness of joy is coming. Like Jason read last week in Revelation, 
Eternity with God is, it's not like an eternal monastery, right? Like imagine a glorified version of the garden with no possibility to sin, to freely enjoy God's creation rightly in all that you do, enjoying the full glory of his presence forever. No more tears, no more pain, lacking in nothing, joy uninhibited. The fullness of joy that Jesus wants for us is ultimately a future joy. Again, look at Jesus. He is the happy God. But in this world, he also became the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So faithfully hang on in this world. Fullness of joy is coming. Second, surrender to the vine dresser. Your joy might be suffering because you're in a season where God is pruning you. As the vine dresser does to the branch in our parable. He says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That it might bear more fruit. We all know during hedge pruning season in Ireland, things can look pretty bare and ugly, can't they? But that's what's needed so that in time, they flourish. God might be showing you that there are some broken cisterns that you've been running to instead of the fountain of living waters. So if that's you, don't run from him. Ask God to reveal any grievous way in you. Consider what what joys you might be putting ahead of God. And then pray for him to make your ultimate joy Jesus again. Number three, abide in Jesus. Abide means a daily, ongoing reliance on Jesus to sustain you. So let me ask you, what are you abiding in? What are you relying on right now to sustain you? Your joy might be suffering because... That's not Jesus right now. Dependently read his word. Pray throughout the day for his help in all that you do. Invite him into the things that you're doing. Dwell with his people who are filled with his spirit. Abide especially in his love. As the father has loved the son, so the son has loved you. You are perfectly loved by God. In all of your messiness, meditate on that and reap it for your joy. If that's hard for you to believe, preach to yourself rather than listen to yourself. Preach to yourself who this God is for you and who you are in him. Abide in his love. Fourth, enjoy God's created world to his glory. Again, God has wired humans for pleasure and joy. And like the garden, he has placed us in a world that we are meant to enjoy. So, enjoy it. Enjoy his beautiful world. Eat delicious food. Enjoy people. Dance, sing, play in the world that he has made for you. But enjoy it with him and for him. Enjoy them within the confines of his design and enjoy them with him for his praise. Like when I, when I didn't trust that God was working for my joy, I enjoyed the things of the world apart from God. I kept them separate. 
which killed my joy for God. So invite him in to the things that you enjoy. Again, let's look at Jesus. Jesus was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton because the bulk of his ministry was feasting with sinners. His first miracle was turning water into wine at a wedding. Like that should tell us something about our God. But he did those things in obedience to the Father and for his purposes. He did them while on mission to save the lost. And that was at the center of his joy. So do the things that you love and make it about Jesus. Enjoy them in such a way that leads to worship for you and for others. Invite people into the things that you love to do. Enjoy his world and do it to his glory and for your joy in him. Finally, fifth, obey his commandments. Your joy might be suffering because there are commandments that you're choosing not to walk in right now. His commandments, listen, his commandments are not there to rob you of joy. His commandments are there to enhance and protect your joy. Look especially at the commandment in the context of our text. Right after verse 11 there, in verse 12, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now that is a commandment that will produce joy in your life. Take your eyes off of yourself and love God's people the way that he has loved you. Love his lost sheep as well for your joy. Consider Jesus again in his parable of the lost sheep. How did he describe the good shepherd when he found the lost sheep? It says, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than uh, more than over the 99 that never went astray. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus' joy in this world was caught up in his joy to see lost sheep saved. His joy was in securing their joy. And that becomes our joy too. Joy is found when we live out the mission of God that he has for us, to go and make disciples. And sometimes, like Jesus, their eternal joy can come at the cost of my temporary joy. I know Sarah and I have tasted that. Even now, as things start to ramp up towards a church plan in Oranmore, that means that, that one day, we're not going to be able to worship with you here on a weekly basis. And that's a loss. That's a loss in temporary joy, but it's one that's worth it if it means the eternal joy of someone in Ornmore, which is also our joy too. So ask God how he might be leading you to see others enjoy Jesus. Ask what commandments aren't you walking in right now and for him to help you to start. This is for your joy now and it's for your future joy. When God says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Okay. Know God's heart for you, church. He is working all things for your ultimate joy in him. 
It's what he's been doing throughout all salvation history. It's what he is doing in your life right now. Jesus came so that his very joy would be your joy and that your joy would be full. So may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in all hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your son said, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And so we ask, Father, fill us with your joy. Return to us the joy of your salvation. Help us to place our hope in future joy. Help us to trust you as the vine dresser. Help us to abide in Jesus. Help us to enjoy your word with you and for you. Help us to obey your commandments. Fill our hearts with delight in you that we, so that we glorify you. We pray as well for the joy of Ireland. God, have mercy on Galway. Have mercy on Ornmore. Rescue your lost sheep for their joy and for your glory, we pray. Amen.